Welcome to the Shifting Our Schools podcast, where we believe learning never stops. We create innovative and flexible professional development opportunities that support the current research and thinking in education today. This week's podcast episode aspires to set you up to take another step forward on your personal learning journey. Now here's your host, Jeff Udick. All right, welcome back to another episode of Shifting Our Schools. Thank you for finding some time to have a listen today. I'm excited to record this live as part of a session on podcasting at NCCE this year, our regional tech conference here in the Pacific Northwest. Before we get started, I want to shout out to Teacher Wit for being a sponsor of the Shifting Our Schools podcast and for hosting another live webinar on exploring our world with Google Maps and Google Earth on May 10th at 12 o'clock Pacific time, that is minus seven UTC time. To attend this free webinar, just head over to teacherwit.com and join this growing and amazing community of inspiring educators. And you can watch the webinar live or you can watch the recording after the fact if the time doesn't work for you. Thank you to Teacher Wit for being a sponsor of the Shifting Our Schools podcast. Teacher Wit, creating an inspiring community of educators. All right. Back in January, I gave a free webinar via YouTube on the technology and educational trends we see happening across the globe as we head into 2022. It is a whole new world of technology and education. After almost two years of remote learning in some parts of the world, I've talked to over 200 school districts in the United States, as well as leaders across multiple international schools on where we should be focused and what to expect as school and technology leaders. I'm excited to share this webinar with you as a podcast. And with that, on with the show. Hello, welcome to this free webinar on what should you do in 2022. As we uh, close down the year 2021 uh, and start looking forward to what we're, what is happening in 2022 and beyond as we continue to come out of the COVID pandemic uh, and things slowly kind of return to normal. And we'll be talking about that today as well. Thank you for joining me, uh, whether you are watching the recording or you are watching this live across uh, Twitter, YouTube, or my Facebook page. I just wanted to take this time to think about where we are in education. I know it's been one heck of a semester. I know that we are in a teacher shortage across the United States and globally as I work with international uh, schools as well. Uh, and, and that's putting a lot of strain on just the educational system on top of the fact that we are not out of the pandemic yet. And all of this is leading us into a new place. We learned so much through the pandemic and it has shifted where education is going. And that's what I want to talk about today or what are some of those shifts that we are seeing that are going to fundamentally, I believe, change education forever. And as we think about that, we're going to have to think for the future. And one of my favorite quotes, how are we preparing students for their future and not our past? And that's going to be mean looking across multiple different areas in our education to make sure that we're doing that. And today what we're going to focus in on is we're going to be focusing on the ed tech part of things. We're going to be looking at some pedagogical approaches that might need to change, some things we need to be thinking about. But also, what are some of those uh, real ed tech uh, components that we need to change. So if you're an IT director, uh, hopefully there's some stuff in here for you. If you're an administrator, uh, there's some stuff in here for you. And of course, if you're an educator, uh, there's a lot of stuff in here for you as well. So here's here's where we're going to go to get started is one of the things I keep thinking about 
as we uh, are going through this is just where are we seeing um, ed tech used? And one of the things I love is I love this picture I found on the internet. Uh, this woman has a shop vac that's connected to a broom. And one of the things I keep asking is, am I using technology to transform learning for students? Are we just taking a new technology and applying it to an old way of doing things? Or are we actually using the full benefit of the new technology? And all too often, what we see is, is we take some new type of technology and we try to just add on to the way that we've always done things. And I think one of the things that we have to understand right now is that using technology, there's, there's a lot of different ways that it's going to completely transform the way we teach. And as we come out of the pandemic, as we come out of this crisis, I love this quote that came from last May, right? The crisis is compressing and accelerating trends that would have taken decades to play out. I don't think anything that's happening in schools right now wouldn't have happened. I think we were already on this trajectory. I think things like Zoom and Google Classroom and LMSs and every kid having a laptop, that was a trajectory we were already on in education. What the pandemic did was speed that up. It sped up how fast the educational system had to adapt to meet the needs of a changing economy and a changing workforce. And that's where we're finding the struggle. I find there's two levels of struggles right now in schools. There's the day-to-day -day struggle, the day-to-day -day struggle of wearing masks, kids in quarantine, uh, kids still three feet apart, kids are feeling it. Uh, teachers, educational systems are feeling it. Like There's a day-to-day -day struggle that is real right now in education because things aren't quote unquote back to normal. And we're still struggling through that. But I think there's another struggle that we're going through right now. And that is a struggle of a higher level of the educational system itself. Because we accelerated up these trends that the entire educational system was moving towards and they've been accelerated. And here's one of them. And this is one that if you've seen me present before, you probably have seen this, this idea that our educational system was built on a pyramid of literacies where print literacy was still the fundamental way that we taught students. We were starting to think about things like digital literacy. And in some schools, we were even talking about this idea of network literacy. How do you teach kids to learn on a network? And before the pandemic and from the early 1900s, when this educational system that we know was set up, this was the foundation. Our foundation was print literacy. Here's the problem. Our economies, our world, our day-to-day -day life do not foundationally find themselves in print literacy anymore. And I think that was a major shift that happened when we went into remote learning across the world is all of a sudden, instantly, on the day schools shut down and we had to go into remote learning, we found we needed a different type of literacy. And what we did is we ended up taking that triangle and we flipped it on its lid where all of a sudden every kid needed to have network literacy skills. They needed to know how do you get into Seesaw? How do you get into a Zoom link or a Google Meet link or, or Microsoft Teams? They needed to have digital literacy skills on how do, you, how do you navigate an LMS? How do you do a Flipgrid? How do you collaborate on a Google Doc or a Word Doc together with people who you're not sitting next to? Those are fundamentally different skills that we weren't teaching in education. And the moment that the pandemic hit, all of a sudden we had to flip our literacies. 
And I think one of the things we're struggling with right now is we're not coming back from this because our world runs on a network literacy. Our world runs on networks. So are we teaching students to learn on a network? And please don't, don't think that I'm saying that print literacy isn't important. I think print literacy is extremely important. Learning how to read in books and appreciating books and smelling books. I want kids to read print. But we also have to come to a realization that we read more emails and more stuff online than we read books today. And I'm not saying it's right. I'm saying it's the world we live in. And so we have to, in the educational system, start thinking about what are the priorities that we are giving to different literacies in our classroom? And are we truly picking literacies that are preparing students for their future and not their past? Now, I talked a little bit about where this is coming inside our economy, in our global economy. And I want to take a moment to, to really hone in on this because this, to me, really is, should be the driving force of education, right? Education's job is to prepare the next generation to be contributing members of society. Well, here's where we're at. We are actually in the fourth industrial revolution, right? We went from mechanical to electrical. There was the internet. And now we're in a digital economy. We're in a digital economy where I meet people all the time. They can't remember the last time they touched an actual paper money or paper currency in whatever country they're in. Everything is done through Venmo and PayPal. In some economies like Kenya, they've moved away completely and everything's done over the phone. We, we live in a digital economy. But here's the thing, specifically in education that I want to focus in on. It's not the digital economy that we're in. It's this little one down here at the bottom where what we've really done is we've empowered people. That's what this has done. All of a sudden, we've gone from empowering corporations to empowering people. And that's the major shift in our economy. And you don't have to look too far to find all these new companies who are emerging because of this digital shift. And look at the ways that it is shaping our economy and the way of life today. If you have a car, you can make money with Uber and Lyft. If you have a house, you can make money with Airbnb. If you have a microphone and a camera, you make money on YouTube. If you have a skill because you love to write or you love to uh, record podcasts, you can go to Fiverr.com and you can sell your expertise to others. Or maybe you like to craft and you like to build things. It's where Etsy, one of the largest online places where people make things and sell their goods. And all of this is possible because we live in a networked world. And our students are living in this world. It's the only world they know of. And as, as we're seeing the shift in our economy, we're seeing the shift in corporations as well as people wanting to work from home. And we're looking at corporations and you can read the news and find corporations are still struggling with how much time should we allow people to work from home and how much time should they be in the office? We're looking at a future where 50% of the workforce will probably work from home. What skills does the next generation of students need if 50% of the kids in your class don't have to go to work, but go to an office inside their house? What's that going to do with the way that we move around the world and around your country. There's just so much here. And, and it's not going away. It's only speeding up. 
And so what we have to understand is we are headed into this idea of a knowledge economy. It's actually already here, but we, it's going to continue to, I guess, show itself to us in ways that we probably can't even imagine yet, right? And when we talk about a knowledge economy, the definition of a knowledge economy is an economy in which growth is dependent on the quantity, quality, and accessibility of information available. The most important thing we can do for our students, for our communities, is give them the quantity, quality, and accessibility of information available. This is where getting everyone on the internet becomes one of the greatest things that we can do for our people and across nations. And that's what I want to focus on is really some of the changes we're now seeing in education because of this. One of the changes that we're seeing because of this in education is moving from a just-in-case model of education to a just-in-time model of education. And that's a shift that's been going on for a while. But it's a shift that, we're again, we're going to see accelerate, that we have to understand that the educational system, the educational system that was built in the 1900s up until, I would say, the pandemic, was built on a just-in-case model. That we were teaching kids things just in case you need to use it in life. Oh, you have to learn algebra because someday, just in case, you're going to need to use it. And so we, we focused on memorization because, kid, once you leave, that's it. But that's not the world we live in. You see, we live in a networked world. We live in a world where you learn things the moment you want to know it. YouTube is the perfect example. I meet people all the time. And one of the questions that I love to ask people is what's the last thing that you learned how to do by watching a YouTube video? And almost every single person that I meet and I ask that question to, they learn something on YouTube because they needed it in the moment. They wanted to know how to bake something. They needed to fix their dishwasher. And they don't watch those videos you know, three years before it happens. No, we learn the moment we want to do something. And when you live in a networked world, you learn things the moment you need to know it. We are teaching a generation of students who believes and understands that's the way the world works. You can't give me assignment on Monday for a test on Friday. You better give me the assignment on Thursday and assess me on Friday. Why am I going to spend all week learning something so I can show you what I know a week from now. I'll just wait till Thursday night, learn it and apply it the next day because I live in a world where I can. We have to change our classrooms to be in a just-in-time learning model. And we have to create the structures that allow that to happen. What we're really talking about here is we're redefining what it means to be knowledgeable. We're redefining what it means to be knowledgeable. Knowledge is no longer defined by knowing something, right? It's defined by one's ability to learn, unlearn, and relearn in the moment knowledge is needed. Think about that for a second. It's not about knowing stuff. It's do you have the ability to learn, unlearn, and relearn in the moment knowledge is needed? That's a knowledgeable person in 2022. That's a knowledgeable person in the future. And part of where this is coming from is this great book called The Half-Life of Facts, right? And in his great TED Talk that you can watch online from Samuel, I like he, he, he says this, right? Health and medical publications have the shortest overall half-life, two to three years, right? Physics, mathematics, and humanity publications have the longest half-life of two to four years. Now think about that, two to three years. 
Anything that you find on the internet that is older than two or three years, you can't trust. If your textbook is older than four years old in physics, mathematics, and humanities, it's out of date. You'd be better to teach off the internet. You see, the whole thing has been sped up. We can no longer rely on teaching kids a set of skills and, and have them memorize content because the content is going to change. At most, the content you learn, at most, four years before something that you know has changed. Right? And what, what we, Samuel talks about in the book is the faster the pace of knowledge change, the more valuable the skill of learning becomes. When you live in a world where the half-life of knowledge is two to four years, it's not about what you know. It's about having the skill to learn something the moment you need it. And do our educational systems have structures in place to allow that to happen? And that is where we are headed in a post-pandemic education world. We're looking for a way where education must adopt a framework that focuses on providing students with skills to learn, unlearn and relearn, and less on the actual content used to teach those skills. Content is important, but not nearly as important as it is to have the skills. Do you have the skills of a mathematician? Do you have the skills of an author? Do you have the skills of an artist? That's what's important. I want kids to be able to think like a writer. I want kids to be able to think like a historian. The history is going to change and you can find it. When you're ready, it's there for you. If you have the skill to know how to do that. And the hardest part of this, when we zoom in on this again, is this one. It's unlearning stuff, right? Most of us in our education lives, we're never taught how to unlearn. And it's put us, it, there's been a lot of pressure on the world right now because we have generations of people that I think really don't know how to unlearn. We need to give our kids the skills of unlearning, understanding that information is moving at a pace where what you understood to be true tomorrow or today might not be true tomorrow. So we look at things like this, right? Are we willing, right? Are you willing to unlearn? Are you willing to accept new information? Are you, do you, are you willing to accept what worked yesterday might not work today? Are you willing to accept what was true yesterday might not be true today? Specifically in the science fields, what was true yesterday might not be true today. And if you don't have a mindset to understand and be able to unlearn what you know, it puts us in a very interesting spot. Do you are willing to accept what I learned might be wrong? Are we willing to say, you know, what I learned in second grade when Pluto was a planet and it was blue is wrong. Pluto is no longer categorized as a planet and it's not blue. It's not blue. You can find it on the internet, right? We know we've got satellite imagery. Are you willing to accept that, right? So as an educator, I ask you, right? As an educator, am I willing to unlearn pedagogical approaches that no longer work? Am I willing to unlearn systems and strategies that fostered inequity? Am I willing to move away from teaching content and towards focusing on teaching skills? Look for standards that are skills focused. And am I focused on professional learning instead of professional development? 
Professional learning is where I'm in control and I'm out looking to learn things the moment I need it. I'm learning on my own. I'm not waiting for a district professional development to give me the knowledge I need. You live on a network. You go out and you learn what you need the moment you need it. Now, IT directors, because we're going to be talking about technology and how technology plays into this. So IT directors, I challenge you in this ability to unlearn. There's a lot of things we need to do in schools. We need to re-examine our software policies. We need to re-examine the purpose of our networks. We need to re-examine our network security. And we need to re-examine our role in our community. That last one, I think, is huge as we come out of the pandemic, is there's new pressures put on education because of where we were. And that's what I want to talk about next, right? I want you to be thinking about what are you re-examining in your school? What is it that you need to re-examine? And I want to give you some things here as we're going to be talking about some of the trends, right? Here are some of the trends in 2022 and beyond. And these are trends that I found uh, talking with different teachers, talking with different schools around the world, around what is it that we see kind of the future of learning and things we need to consider specifically through an ed tech lens, because that is going to be a big part of it. So trend number one, right? Student connectivity being funded by basic education. We need to find a way to make sure that every student can be connected to the internet, to this wealth of information so that they can learn the moment they need to know something. And we are seeing all kinds of uh, amazing ways that that schools and school districts are setting this up. We have school districts who are setting up their own LTE 4G networks. We have school districts who are partnering with satellite companies. We have all these really cool ways that we're seeing this. We, We need to understand that schools not could, but will play a vital role in our communities in supporting internet for all families. So if you haven't already started looking for partnerships inside your community, now's the time. How are we making sure that every family has access to the internet? It's going to be you know, a, a huge push, I think, for especially for tech directors. We've got to get internet to our families. You know, we have schools creating partnerships with satellite internet companies or setting up their own LTE systems. And you can do this. You can set up your own specific LTE system that is only for 4G, the 4G system that is that is locked to your school that only allows your kids and your families to access it. Think about what that would do in some of our in some of our communities. We have another trend, right? The idea of all schools being one to one K-12 has been accelerated. We've seen this. The era of the cart is over. The era of the cart is over. We are not putting laptops back in carts. Every child needs to have access to a device the moment they need to know something. So when a student in class says, hey, what color is Pluto? A teacher can say, I don't know. Open up your laptop and go see if you can find it. Right? Giving, Helping kids get the skill and understanding that you can learn something. Ask questions and then learn it. And so what we're seeing is is one of the goals that I have for education is that we are in a one-to-one take-home environment, fifth through 12th grade. Every student should have their own device that they take home from fifth to 12th grade. Some schools are already there. Some schools have it lower. That's great. But I think a good goal in 2022 and beyond is that every child has a laptop every day and we're in a take-home program, grades five through 12. 
Another thing we're going to see is we're going to see communities rely on public education to fund the laptop. I think this is one of the changes that we see in a post-pandemic education world is we saw during the pandemic, if schools closed down and schools went into remote learning, that this it was on the school to give devices to kids, making sure kids had devices at home. And I think our communities are going to come to rely on that. It's just going to be a given that students are given a laptop when they come to school. So us in education, IT directors, superintendents, heads of school, we have to be thinking about how are we funding that? And we can't be relying on tech levies and bonds to be able to do that. We've got to find a way to get that into our general budgets. And that means at the state levels here in the United States or in your Providence level, you've got to find a way to fund laptops for every child. And there's ways to move money around. I think there's places that we can we can move money around to do that as well within our budgets, right? I think we're going to see a trend to a move of higher end devices with more capabilities. I think one of the things we found during the pandemic is Chromebooks are great. They're cheap, but they also have a cheap camera, cheap speakers, and cheap um, microphones. And because of that, we saw some kids, even if they had a device, not being able to do the work that they needed to do. So I think once again, we've seen a run to the bottom. We saw this with netbooks a couple years ago. And I think we're going to start seeing this idea of more higher end devices in the hands of kids, which is great because it means more creativity for students. It means faster connection times. We're going to be seeing a trend in IT of we want to be blocking less and we want to be securing more, right? Blocking less and securing more. And of course, security is going to become a major concern in our schools, uh, much like this article. And some of you might have seen this last year of how a student in a high school hacked all of the displays and rickrolled their school. Security is going to become a major concern. So how are we unblocking content so that kids can learn and upping the security of our networks? And I want to just pause on here because IT directors and superintendents and school boards, this really applies to you, is we have to understand that if you want to be in compliant with SIPA and E-rate requirements here in the United States, SIPA is the Child Internet, Internet Protection Act, that you are required to filter three things. This comes right off the FCC's website, right? You have to filter internet access to pictures that are obscene, child pornography, and harmful to minors. That's actually what it says. That's what it says in the SIPA rule. That, that's what we're required to do. Now, I, I like that. We need to have filters in place, but we also have to make sure that we're fulfilling the second paragraph. And the second paragraph says this, schools must provide for educating minors about appropriate online behavior, including interacting with other individuals on social network websites, in chat rooms, and cyberbullying awareness and response. Folks, we need to unblock some social networks in our schools so we can teach kids how to appropriately use social networks. When we're talking about chat rooms, let's talk about what does that look like, right? A chat room, you can have a chat inside a Google Doc. You can have a chat inside Microsoft Teams. We need to, we need to have structured education around how do you behave in these places especially when we're looking at 50% of the kids in your classroom are probably going to be working from home at some point in their career. How do you communicate uh, through Slack, through Microsoft Teams, whatever the platform of the day is going to be? So we need to be blocking less, securing more, just to stay within the SIPA and E-rate requirements here in the United States. 
And I know in Europe, if you're watching this in Europe, you have your own regulations as well. And we just need to make sure we stay inside the regulations, but we need to be as loose as possible to make sure that we can still do what we need to do to educate a generation who is network focused. Another one of the trends we're going to see is we're going to see a consolidation. We're already seeing this, a consolidation and integration of educational platforms as we're seeing platforms kind of move together. And so we're going to be able to buy bigger and bigger bundles of, of educational software. We're also going to see a trend of not on campus or off campus, but kind of this flow of the two. I think the idea of open campuses needs to be rethought of what does that mean and at what age is that appropriate? And I think we're being forced in many cases by our communities. I was just recording a podcast last night with some educators where we were talking about this, that parents are now the expectation is, is that, well, I can pull my kid for a week and you'll just teach them online, right? Because you know how to do it. You just did it for 18 months. And so we're in this struggle between our community is expecting us to be able to apply or give education experiences for kids both in our classroom and who might be at home, whether they are quarantined, whether they're on family vacation, whether there's an emergency in the family, maybe the, the student is health compromised and needs to learn from home. And we can reach those kids because we have a new set skills. We have a new found skill skill set that we can use to reach those kids and our communities are going to demand it. We're also going to look at public education offering an online class. I think every school district across the United States, every international school that might be watching this, if you're not already thinking about an online school option, I think that is here to stay. And I really think, I love this hashtag, you know, the idea that we need to stop outsourcing learning. I think us as public education and us as schools need to create our own online schools and not rely on large corporate online schools to do that work for us. We need to do that. We know our kids. We know our communities. We know that relationships matter within communities. How are we doing that? How are we serving our, our community and our, our public? The other thing we need to do is we need to have public education needs to align their LMS systems with statewide adoptions. I think, you know, we ran during the pandemic, if you didn't have an, a learning management system, an LMS set up, we saw a lot of school districts just went out and grabbed one. I think it's time to come back. It's time to reevaluate those and making sure you are aligned with your state here in the United States or overseas. If you're in an international school, look at what platform that most of the colleges go. And I'll just use my state. I'm in the state of Washington. I'm here in Seattle. But here in the state of Washington in 2012, the higher education system across the state of Washington moved to Canvas. And this isn't to promote Canvas, right? It's a, it's a great LMS system like many other ones out there. But, but the state of Washington said every community and technical college and every public four-year university, University of Washington, Washington State University, Eastern Washington Central, they all use Canvas. Every community college and technical college uses Canvas. So if you are in the state of Washington, and you're a high school, you probably should be using Canvas, especially as we're getting kids doing running start or kids are now able to take college credits inside uh, as high school students. Wouldn't it be great if they were using the same platform? Now, other states might have adopted this too. Figure out what has been adopted at higher education and let's start aligning these things. It takes pressure off of students and we're actually supporting students. If we say college, career and life ready, 
The one of the ways you prepare kids for colleges and careers is you use the same platforms that colleges and careers are using. So let's align those. Another thing we're going to see a trend is we're going to be looking at all kinds of different ways to use a bell schedule. If there's going to be this free flow of kids in the future, we need to look at the way that we're structuring learning. And I think there's a lot of pushback right now on the traditional bell schedule. We just had students for 18 months who could eat lunch when they were hungry, not when a bell schedule told them to. We had students for 18 months who said, oh, I do math better at two o'clock, not at 9 a.m. And all of a sudden they're back in our traditional bell schedules and they're forced to do things at a specific time, whether or not they're ready to do it. I think we need, to, we need to think openly about the way that the school day is actually structured and where do we have freedoms for students to, to learn to learn and where do we need to have more structure as well. I think another trend we're going to see is we're going to see schools spend more money on video and audio equipment so that teachers can teach. The instructional video is here to stay. That's a whole nother, that's a whole nother uh, webinar, but instructional videos were already good practice, good teaching practice before the pandemic. We saw a lot of teachers use instructional videos during uh, at-home learning, and they're going to be here forever. It, it just is a great way to teach. Kids get to be in control of it. They get to watch you, and you can still be live, but we're going to need to spend more money on, on audio vid video equipment as well. And the last one is at a pedagogical way, at, a ped pe at the pedagogical level, excuse me, we're going to be trans transitioning to a truly inquiry-based educational system. If we're truly focused on skills, we need to be able to give students problems, problem-based learning, project-based learning, design thinking. The structures are out there, but we want to pose big problems for students and then help them develop the skills needed to answer those questions. That is the future and where we're headed in education. So as we wrap this up, where do we go from here? right? Where do we go from here? And here, I think, is the biggest question we need to ask ourselves, right? As we move into 2022 and we look at the structures of education, are we going in the direction that is most familiar for us or the direction that is the best fit for the future of learners? What a great question to ask ourselves every time we need to adopt curriculum, every time we're looking at the structures of a school day. Are we doing it because it's what's familiar or are we doing it because we truly believe it's best for learners? Thank you for joining me for this webinar. I look forward to receiving your comments and thoughts and what trends are you seeing in the future of education? And until next time, I'll see you on the network. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Shifting Our Schools. If you found this episode helpful or inspiring, please make sure to subscribe and leave the team a five-star rating. If you want to learn more about the Shifting Schools team or download our free resources, head over to shiftingschools.com to see what's on offer now. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next week for another episode to keep rethinking the shifts our schools need.